0: Please turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenus, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray for this time. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be a faithful servant and steward of your word. Lord, and I pray that you may help us as a church to be faithful servants and stewards of what you have entrusted to us through your divinely inspired word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... We've been we're coming down to the wire. We've been going through a series on the church. What is the church? What does the church do? And just a couple, or few more weeks away before we start something else. And I'm quite honestly, I'm I'm eager to get back into uh, a Bible and the, the, or a book in the scriptures. But before us today, we have um, I'm, I, my aim is to talk about the subject of deacons. We're talking about what is the church? What are the, some of the defining marks of the church? I want to argue that the office of a deacon is an important and essential mark of a healthy church. And so whether or not you are familiar with the office or not, well, I want to make the case that this is important and that then to convince you that this should matter to you for at least a few reasons. One, this should matter to you because, well, as a church, we have deacons. And if you are here and you're not sure what a deacon does, or what is a deacon? And I hope to answer some of those questions for you this morning. This matter, this topic should matter to you because deacons, as I said, are essential for the life of the church. And we'll talk more about that towards the end of the sermon, but just know that they are essential for the vitality, for the growth, for the health of the church. And this topic should matter to you because you should know what the qualifications of a deacon are, is. Right, because we have deacons, because we look forward right, to installing more deacons right, in, in the future. And if a deacon is essential to the life of the church, then you should know what is a deacon, what makes a deacon, what are the character qualifications of a deacon. So we open up to Acts chapter 6, mainly because it is in chapter 6 where we see that the office of a deacon was born out of need, which is our first point this morning. So, what's happening here in Acts chapter 6 is that there's some kind of, there's a a situation where you have Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews, and it's particularly the Greek-speaking widows who are being neglected in the daily distribution, and I don't think it's on purpose. I think it was probably an oversight, something that was done accidentally, but it is an issue that is brought to bear to the apostles and the rest of the church, or particularly the apostles. Now remember, this is the first church. Peter preaches the gospel, and then it tells us that thousands of people came to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we have the first church made up of thousands of people, and it tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and that people were distributing, the pro- di- distributing different things as people had need. And, and that means that this church wasn't rich. The people had needs, and so others who had some, well, they, whatever it is that they had in their homes, they, they sold those things, used the money to then to distribute to those in the church that had needs. And I'm sure that also that they had belongings that they gave to others because, well, I can live without these things, and you need this, so please take this. So the church was meeting its own needs. And the more members you have, well, then the more needs there are to meet. But the church was meeting these different needs. And now we come to the situation where there's particular widows are being neglected in this, in this daily distribution. Now meeting tangible and physical needs is important, not only because right, we have needs that have to be met, but also because neglecting to meet those needs can ruin a church. Imagine there's a torrential downpour and your basement gets flooded. And you have no idea how to take care of it. There's nobody else in the home. You're living by yourself. You have no idea how to take care of that. Now, you belong to a good church. You go to one of your deacons and you say, hey, I have this going on. I have no idea how to take care of this. Can you help me? Maybe you talk to two deacons and they're like, oh yes, of course, we'll help you. And they never show up. And then you're talking to another member in the church. You just ch- ch- chat, whatever it is. And you Happened to say, I had this situation in my home and I'm trying to get rid of this water. And they're like, well, why don't you call the church? Why don't you talk to one of the deacons? And they're like, well, I did. And nobody ever showed up. Right? The church should be a place where you should feel taken care of. Because we're not just a church. Right? The New Testament says that we are the household of God, that we are the family of God. And family members, while they take care of one another. Right? And then... If you are part of a family and that family neglects it to help you in your time of need, well, that you, you can become embittered. You might want to maybe perhaps go look for another church family. So meeting needs is important. Now, that also requires communi- clear communication, right? It's one thing to become embittered. Because you made a need known and it was never met It's quite another thing if you become embittered Because nobody meets a need that you never communicate Right, so we have to communicate, right? So don't be shy about communicating a need that you have Right, that's what we're here for We're here to take care of each other's needs That's what deacons are for To help take care of your needs But you can't expect for a deacon or anybody else To meet your needs if they don't know what the need is so it does require some clear communication. But not meeting physical needs or tangible needs can ruin a church. In this particular case, in the book of Acts, this could have ruined the first church. So we see in the book of Acts that the office of deacon was born out of need. And it serves two purposes. Now, namely, it was to free up the apostles, but it does serve two purposes. One of those purposes is to serve. They're there to make sure that no need goes unmet. They're there to make sure that nobody is neglected, in this case, the needs of the widows. Again, it was probably an oversight. Right? With thousands of members, right? it's easy for somebody to fall through the cracks. And in this case, some particular widows were being Neglected, they fell through the cracks. And so the apostles called the church and selected seven men to serve as deacons to, 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 to exercise some oversight over the needs of the church, particularly this, in this situation. So they're, they're there to serve and also to free up the apostles to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. It's not that meeting needs is unimportant to the apostles or to elder pastors, but what we see in the New Testament is that there are these two specific ministries. One is the ministry of the word and prayer, which we'll talk more about when we get to the topic of elders, and then there's the ministry of service. Now, right, we talked last week about service, how service, how our serving one another is essential for the life of the church but the New Testament also tells us that there are a select individuals, particular individuals among the church that are chosen to be deacons, to take the role of this particular responsibility of exercising some oversight over the needs and to be a resource to those who have tangible needs. But those two different ministries, the word and prayer and service, are two different ministries. Now, certainly there is some overlap at times, right? Just because there are two different ministries doesn't mean that the elder pastor never serves. And just because deacons are given to the ministry of service doesn't mean that they never do any kind of ministering through the word, right? They can pray with other other members. They can encourage them through the word of God. They can teach the word as well, such as, say, on a Sunday morning, like Sunday school, or like what we have an immense bible study. So there is some overlap but we can't confuse those two different ministries because when those two ministries are confused or they are kind of become when well, they can they can kind of become like a jumbled mess. And when that happens, well then they can't each function as effectively as they can. But there is some overlap, but each one is to Have the ability and the freedom to serve to that particular capacity. So, the deacon, the office of deacon was born out of need, seen in the book of Acts. They're there to serve, to free up those who are given to the ministry of the word and prayer. And so, already we're seeing that this is essential for the life of the church, but if we're talking about deacons and how essential they are, it's also important for us to define what a deacon is. What is a deacon? Essentially, a deacon is a servant, where right? in the Greek, it can either mean deacon or servant, but either way, the essential definition of a deacon is one who serves. And if I may add, one way to think of deacons is to think of them as shock absorbers, so fear in the first church in the book of Acts, there was a need. And the church was flourishing, but then they came up with the situation, right? Then so then lightning strikes. And so then what happens? And that lightning has the opportunity, really has a chance to reverberate through the rest of the church and cause disruption and disunity. A commercial plane, if it's flying over the span of thirty years can cover about, over 30 years, about 52 million miles. Now, lightning strikes a plane about every thousand miles. Now, why don't you ever feel lightning strike when you're in an airplane? Because airplanes have this thick layer of metal that acts to resist or to absorb the lightning strike so that when you are riding on a plane, thankfully, you're not feeling the impact of that lightning strike. Whenever the lightning of need strikes the church, you will know that the strike has been properly absorbed if you never feel the shock, if you never feel it reverberate through the life of the church. That's how you know when the office of a deacon is fulfilling its role. The thing about shock absorbers is that, right, you don't really see them. If you look at a plane, that can be able to tell, oh, that's, 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 that's that metal plate, that's that metal casing that absorbs the lightning. When you look at a car, you know that they have shock absorbers, but you don't see them because they're behind the tires. But you know they're there, and you know when they're working, and you know when they're not working. Deacons are essential in the life of the church, but they're also the ones who work behind the scenes. They're working in ways that you and I, I mean, I, I, I see it more than you do, but in some cases, in many cases, you see it more than I do. But deacons kind of serve in the background They serve in ways that a lot of people don't even realize And sometimes that I don't even realize And that's how they function That's how they serve That's how our deacons serve Right. In the case you don't know who they are Let me tell you who they are Right. We have Eric Pigman we have Jeff Remmers, we have VJ Gadim, we have Lucky Gibson, who, by the way, if you have a particular need and you're like, which deacon do I call or who do I talk to, you reach out to Lucky Gibson, who's not here today, but he's the one you reach out to. It doesn't mean that he's the only one who's going to meet that need, but he's the one who at least will delegate and let others know and recruit if he needs more than one pair of hands to meet that need. My boy Stevens was probably the one who works in the background the most because you almost never see him <laughs> because he's all the way back there taking care of the lights and the, the live stream and the sound. He kind of scares me because all that power is in his hands. He could just shut it down in a moment. <laughs> but I trust him. But all these deacons serve in different ways that you, many of you, are not familiar with. And that's the idea. And you know that it's working when you don't feel this disruption of unity because needs are being neglected. They're not the most visible office or the most visible ministry, but they are incredibly essential for the life of the church. So deacon office was born out of need. We've talked about what is the definition of a, de- of a deacon. He's a servant. a servant. You can think of them as a shock absorbers. But given the weight of responsibility that these deacons have and the title that they carry, it's also important that we are able to know what makes a deacon a deacon. What are the character qualifications of a deacon? And for that, we have 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8-13, through 13, where it says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." So let me kind of just walk you through those different characteristics of a deacon. So first, they must be dignified. So is this person respectable? Right? Can you tell your son, hey, look at this man, look at this deacon. This is a person of of repute. This is somebody you should imitate, someone you should emulate in your character. Does he have an honorable character? Not double-tongued. Does this person say one thing and then, and then do the opposite? Do you listen to this person with, sub, with, a, with a sense of mistrust because they've maybe perhaps developed a reputation of saying one thing but meaning something else or not following through with their commitments? But right? do you listen to this person with suspicion? So that means by not to not double tongue. So when you listen to them, you know that they're telling the truth and you can trust them. Not addicted to wine. Obviously, you don't want somebody in the office who's a drunkard. But I think it's more than that. Is this person self-controlled? Does he have a temperate character? Not greedy for gain. Is this person greedy for money? Right? If you have somebody like that, they shouldn't be a deacon, especially a deacon of finance. But also add to that, greedy for reputation Right, there are some men who might want the office just simply because of the title, because they might they think that it puts them above everybody else, but we don't want somebody like that. Hold, they must hold to the mystery of the faith. Mystery of the faith in the New Testament most often means the gospel. Are they holding on to the gospel so that they believe in the gospel? Can they articulate the gospel? Is their life consistent with the gospel? They must manage their home well. Does this person lead their home well? Is it well managed? Is it taken care of? Is this person meeting the needs of his family first? It doesn't necessarily, it does not mean that their children must be saved. It does not mean that because their children's salvation doesn't depend on the man. It depends on the Lord Jesus. But is, the, is, a, is a general disposition of the children of one of obedience. But if the child or children has developed a reputation among the church as one who is defined to authority, is sleeping around, is doing drugs, then that person should not be nominated as a deacon because he's got some bigger fish to fry. He's got some things to take care of in the home, first, before he gives his time and attention to serving the church in this particular office. Then it says that the wife must be above reproach. So is she faithful? Or is she slanderous? Is she a gossiper? Does she she have a respectable character? That's what this is implying. By the way, I don't think, and many theologians agree that it doesn't necessarily mean, I don't think Paul is trying to tell us that a deacon must be one who is married. I think a deacon certainly can be somebody who is single. As long as they display the qualifications of a deacon, as Paul writes here in First Timothy. Nor does I, do I think it means that the, that the deacon must have a believing spouse. Again, because the salvation is not dependent upon that man. But again, the other things apply. Does he have a reputable character? Is his home managed well, even if they are unbelievers? Because you don't have to be a believer to manage a home well. But it should especially be so for the believer. Now, two things I will say to this part in particular about the wife being above reproach. Or right, actually, just one thing, because the other thing, I just already said it. So many will make the case, uh, there's two different arguments here. Some will argue that deacons can be females and that deacons should only be males. Those who fall into the camp that only de- that only males should be deacons will go to Acts chapter 6 and say, well, when they, when, what tells us here that the apostles chose seven men to be deacons. We see here in Acts, or chapter of 1 Timothy 3 that he must be the husband of one wife, which by the way, I don't think I covered this one, but meaning that, that this, does this man, have a, is he faithful to his spouse or is he in an adulterous relationship or even taking a step further, does this man have a roving eye? He can't keep his eyes to himself, right? That kind of man should not be installed as a deacon, but anyways... Some will go to the qualifications of a deacon and say, well, they say that he must be the husband of one wife. Some will say that he must manage their home well. And I think that the managing of the home, the primary responsibility falls on the man. I take that from Genesis and the creating of Adam and Eve. And Adam was placed, given the charge over all things. And he was given the commandment to be fruitful and to not touch this particular tree. That commandment wasn't given to Eve, but she knew the commandment because I think she learned from her husband. It doesn't mean that the husband bears primary responsibility over the management of the home, but I think that the husband is the one that, in the end, the Lord will call account to if the home isn't well taken care of. But on the other side, some will argue that, no, females can be deacons. Some will point to Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 that calls this, depending on the translation, it says Phoebe was a deacon of the church. Now, some will say servant, but even some will say that's not even a convincing argument because in the Greek, diakonos, it says it could be translated as deacon or servant. And in the context, it's hard to tell which one Paul is using. Now, here in First Timothy three, in verse eleven. So, is it up? I don't know if you could put up the path. Yes. Because I want you to see this. First Timothy three, in verse eleven, it says, their wives likewise must be dignified. Now, this is so Paul is talking about the office of elders first, and he's talking about deacons. So he's talking about these specific offices. It says, deacons likewise, or deacons too must be this, this, and this. So it seems that Paul is focusing here specifically on the office of a deacon. And some theologians, and I would agree, think that it seems kind of out of place or seems kind of strange that he would then, that Paul would then talk about the office of a deacon and then talk about the wife of a deacon. Right. If that's the case, if, if, the character of the off, uh, if the character of the wife whose husband is a deacon is important, then why wouldn't Paul also make a similar statement concerning the wife of an elder, which he doesn't? So, they seem, so they, it seems that Paul is not talking about the wife of a deacon, but talking about female deacons. Because here also... In verse 11, right, their wives, the word for wife there, gnaikos, and I don't, like, I don't like using the Greek in sermons. I always think of my Hebrew professor who would say that using the original language, or using Hebrew or Greek in a sermon, it's like showing off your underwear. It's like, why would you? But I think in this case, I think there's some exceptions, But the word, the original Greek word there for wives can be translated as either wives or women. It's hard to know from the context which way Paul means. And also in verse 11 it says their wives, the word their isn't in the Greek. So it just says, it either says women or wives, not their wives. So historically our church has always had male deacons I haven't been able to find a particular statement that says that from our church, from my predecessors that says that the deacons must only be males and this is why and so and so. And I think such statements are helpful because it helps to articulate what we mean. It helps to bring the church into unity onto the same page. And if there are questions in the future, well then here's a statement. We thought about this issue. Please read this. And so in the future, I think it will be helpful for us to Provide such statements. Now, our bylaws do say that deacons must be men. Now, quite personally, for me, I've kind of gone back and forth on this issue. If you had asked me two days ago, I would have said I'm like 70, 75% sure that deacons should only be males. But even just this morning, as I was studying that particular topic, now I'm like, okay, I'm like 60, 65% sure that deacons can be female. <laughs> so it's really hard. I've, I've had a hard time landing somewhere on this issue. And it's my hope that with a plurality of elders that we would revisit this issue and then together we pray and come to a consensus and then perhaps preach on it on a Sunday morning, kind of see where we're coming for at, what are the arguments for this particular position or another position, and perhaps even open it up on a Sunday evening for people to ask questions. Because this isn't actually a simple process, because it is in the bylaws it requires, to, be, to amend the bylaws that require congregational approval. So anyways, it's a lengthy process, that might have been really nerdy or really boring to you, hopefully it wasn't, but I felt like it was necessary to really cover that. So, one last thing about the character of the deacon. Paul is indicating to us in these qualifications of a deacon is that character is what matters most. So I would gladly choose a man of character that couldn't swing a hammer than a guy who has all the carpentry skills but has no character. When you're looking to install someone as a deacon, you look first for the men with the character and then you find where they fit. Instead of looking for the need or identifying what the needs are and then finding someone to fit that need. Paul is telling us, no, it's quite the opposite. You look for character first. Character is what matters most, not skills. Now, if you have the skills, if you have administrative skills, if you have carpentry skills, if you can work well with your hands and praise the Lord, use those gifts, those talents, those skills to serve the church and perhaps even consider being a deacon of the church. But more important than anything else is having the character. The character is, I would say, kind of what fills the resume when looking for a deacon, not the skills. So then, understanding now the character of the deacon or the character that he must have, and he must have these particular qualifications because of the gravity of his his office, of what he's called to do. So these are reasons why this topic or this subject should be important to us. Deacons are a precious gift to the church. And here's another reason why they are a precious gift to the church. Because it is such a vital office. One, because they are patterned after Christ. Mark ten forty five. Jesus tells us that he came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. when a deacon is looking to fulfill his role he first looks to the model set out for by jesus christ who served us by dying for us it is not to say that the deacon must in the same way lay down their lives for the church where right? they must take care of the needs of their home first that's part of the qualifications but it also means that they're looking to pattern their ministry after after Christ, then it also means that they are to look to the interests of others and not their own. That they are to serve sacrificially. And not only are they patterned after Christ, making it such a vital office, but also it's a vital office because they are protectors of unity. Ephesians 4.1, says, I therefore, this is Paul talking, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. As a church, as family, right, we are all called to maintain the unity that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And deacons, especially, are given to this task. We well, read it here in Acts chapter 6 could have been a disruption of the unity. Now, what could have happened? What could have happened if these needs had continued to be neglected? What would have happened is that it would have destroyed the witness of the church. If they're not, if people are coming and they're saying, my needs are not being met, we're supposed to be a family, we're supposed to be one under Jesus Christ, believing in the same gospel, and yet I am being neglected no matter how many times I ask, it hurts the witness of the church. So these Christians would have gone somewhere else, well, let's go to another church, or let's form our own church, or let's not go to any church at all. We see that deacons function as a way of defending gospel witness. And as, we, and as the witness of the gospel is protected, this also means, becomes a means of proclaiming the gospel. Our gospel unity is the way that we proclaim the gospel to the world to show that there is something different about the household of God. They protect the unity. Meeting the needs of the saints is an effective means of protecting our unity. I mean, just think of the gospel. The gospel is a message of reconciliation, a reconciliation between God and man. That man is a sinner, that man is thankless towards God, that, that man has this the separation from God because of his sins, that the relationship between man and God is one marked by hostility because of his sins. But God sends his son into the world to die on behalf of sinners so that anybody who places their faith upon Jesus Christ has received forgiveness of sins and then are reconciled to God. They're united to Jesus Christ through faith in him through the Holy Spirit of God. The gospel brings unity between God and man and the gospel also brings unity between man and man. Because what does the gospel do? The gospel brings people of different economic levels, of different backgrounds, of different cultures, of different races together to form the family of God. That's what the gospel brings. That is gospel unity. And should we let neglected needs in the church disrupt that unity? Absolutely not. Hence why we need deacons to oversee the ministries of service in the church, to meet tangible needs, because that is the way of protecting our gospel witness and our gospel unity. So lastly, to conclude, some things to think about in terms of application. First, to our deacons. I would encourage you to continue to store up treasures in heaven. Every time that you serve, every time that you dedicate time and effort to the church, every time you you turn a wrench, every time you go into someone's home and provide up a tangible need, you are storing up treasures in heaven. Continue to store those treasures in heaven. Continue to serve the church, the body of Christ. You have an abundance of treasure waiting for you in heaven because of your self sacrificing service. And then to the church, I would encourage you to pray, pray for our deacons. It's an essential office. We need deacons to continue to protect the unity of our church, and so they need our prayers. Also, and I've said this before, don't be shy about making your needs known. Don't keep them to yourself. We are a family of God, and we are here to help one another. Indeed, can serve in this way of helping to meet tangible needs. Then, lastly, to the men of our church, ask yourself: Do you have the character that we read here in First Timothy? Now, you don't have to have the character. I mean, I mean, well, everybody should have the character. But you don't have to be a deacon to have this particular character. All Christians should show this kind of character that, that Paul describes. But especially so deacons. But if you are a, a godly man, do you have these character qualifications? And if so, maybe you ought to consider Becoming a deacon, and it's not a prideful thing, it's not a pretentious thing to say. I have these character qualifications. Wives, do your husbands have these character qualifications? They do. Encourage them and let them know. It's also a loving thing to tell them, "Hey, you do," but I would actually ask. I would encourage you to grow in this particular area. Exemplify the characteristics of a deacon, whether or not you desire to be a deacon or not, whether you're a man or woman. So we need deacons to protect the unity of a church. They're essential, they're vital for a healthy and thriving church. So praise God for them. And let's continue to pray for them and to encourage them as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is king and yet took the posture of a servant to serve us by dying for us. His life is an example for us all. Hence why he tells us to love one another. And love is something not only that we say, it's something that we do. Love is about action. And love is about service. Help us to be a people who serve one another and we pray for our deacons and we pray that you would continue to grow in them in love for the church. Give them an increasing love for the church that so they may continue to serve with humility, with gladness. And may they see their service as a way of serving you, and as a way of storing treasures in heaven. Continue to protect our gospel witness and our gospel unity through these individuals that you have called to serve the church in these specific ways. In Jesus' name, amen.